Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we recognize the guilt and shame that Joseph's brothers experienced and ask, how can we let go of our own? Thank you so much. It is great to be here. Um, I, um, in my work now, I get to work with churches and leaders from all over Australia, and that's actually quite a privilege um, to see what God's up to in different corners and spaces and uh, denominations around Australia. I can tell you that he's up to heaps. God's doing heaps of stuff. Uh, but there's no place like home, right? And Gateway is very much my home. Um, as Tim said, uh, to answer the questions, I've been here for 31 years. I got baptized in December 2000 in that uh, baptism all right there. And uh, so I just feel so great to be here this morning. So thank you so much uh, for welcoming me. It's great to be be here with you in the room and also online. How wonderful that two communities can be gathered together this morning. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just so stoked to be here. So why don't we start by praying, then we'll jump in. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are here. Uh, God, this building doesn't house you, our hearts house you. And you entered this building when the very first Christian opened the door this morning. God, what a privilege it is to sit here amongst other believers, brothers and sisters who carry you with them in their hearts and their souls. And so God, I pray that as we open your word together this morning, that we would really feel and sense the power of your spirit, the move of your love in this place. God, I pray that hearts that might feel moist would be set alight this morning by the power of your spirit. God, we believe in you, we love you, we're here for you. I pray that it would be less about us this morning, less about where we're at, less about building our kingdoms and more about you, more about your presence, more about bringing glory to your name and building your kingdom. And God, we pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as Tim said, we are at the pointy end of this Joseph series, um, and this morning, I get to look at chapter 42, and to really understand where we're at in chapter 42, you have to go back to the start where Joseph is a 17-year-old, and Joseph is a 17-year-old, and like... Like a lot of 17-year-olds, he thinks he knows everything. And he, uh, but, but he sort of, you know, he thinks he's got life by the tail a little bit. And he gets these dreams, but they're not like the sort of dreams that the average 17-year-old would get. You know, he's not dreaming of playing footy for Australia or, you know, inventing the next addictive app that he's going to sell for millions of dollars and never have to work a day in his life. These dreams are a little bit different. You know, they're sort of, uh, they're, they're weirdly specific and they're really powerful and he believes that they are from God. But the problem with Joseph is that he hasn't developed character yet. He's only 17. He hasn't developed, you know, sort of social awareness enough to the point that he's been ticking off his family because the dreams that he is having are about his family bowing down to him, his older brothers bowing down to him. And because he's not really very socially aware, he heads into the fields and he tells his brothers, hey, you'll never believe the dream I had last night. I think it means I'm going to rule over you because you guys were all bowing down in front of me. And they aren't keen on this idea. I mean, add this to the fact that Joseph is his, fa his dad's favorite. Uh, his dad, Jacob, has a favorite wife. And I don't have time to chase that down this morning. But let me just say, if you have to clarify which of your wives is your favorite, you've got too many wives. You know, so Jacob has a favorite wife who gives him this son, Joseph, and, and she has children later in life. And Jacob is an older man when Joseph is born. And he's got these other sort of 10 sons that he sends out into the field to sort of manage the ranch, manage the farm, manage the business. And he gets to stay at home and he develops this relationship. He cultivates this relationship with Joseph, who's his favorite wife's son. And Joseph becomes his favorite son. And he doesn't hide it. Jacob doesn't hide the fact that Joseph is his favorite son. In fact, he, he makes him this beautiful Technicolor dream coat. Actually, Technicolor dream coat is Andrew Lloyd Webber. The Bible just says it was colorful. So the colorful coat becomes almost like this name badge that Joseph wears that says, I'm dad's favorite. Like it's not a secret. It's not hidden. And these brothers, they are 
filled with jealousy. They're filled with envy. They're filled with anger. And you've got this 17-year-old kid who's running around in his I'm daddy's favorite coat, telling them that he's going to be all-powerful and they're going to bow down to him. And these aren't just sort of, you know, a pack of teenagers that are, you know, bringing tension to the breakfast table. These are like grown men who are angry. And we've seen in chapters before we get to chapter 42, Joseph's brothers going into a town and actually annihilating the town, killing loads of people. Like they're violent and they're angry and they're filled with resentment towards their brother Joseph. And so one day as Joseph is walking towards them in the field, the anger and the envy just rises to the surface for them and they decide we're going to kill him. And there's a couple of voices of reason in the group and they say, well, let's not kill him, he's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so a caravan comes on its way to Egypt and they tie their brother up and they sell him to a slave driver. They take off his colorful coat, they rip it to shreds, they kill a lamb, they put blood all over it and they take it to their dad and they say, dad, we found this. Do you think it might be Joseph's? And Jacob realizes that his favorite son has been killed and eaten by a wild animal. And Joseph is taken into Egypt as a slave and he's sold to one of Pharaoh's highest officials, a guy named Potiphar. And Joseph decides, if this is where I am, if this is where I'm going to have to go, then I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to decide to bloom where I've been planted. And it turns out he's quite a good slave and he really pushes himself into the culture. He learns the language. He learns the currency. He learns the commerce. He learns the economy. He learns the culture. He learns the bartering system. And he rises to the point that Potiphar takes notice of this slave and says, you're the best staff member I've got. I'm going to put you in charge of everything. And so Joseph becomes the head of one of the highest officials in Egypt's household. But Potiphar is not the only one that takes notice of this strapping young Hebrew slave with chiseled good looks. Potiphar's wife takes notice too. And this bored housewife sees this chiseled young man and starts to take notice of him. And so every now and then she just rubs up against him and says to him, hey, my husband's going to be out of town next week. How about you and I, you know? And Joseph continues to say no and no and no and no until one day in the living room she jumps him. And he takes off, but she grabs his coat. And all of a sudden, we've got another coat that's going to get Joseph into trouble. And Potiphar's wife calls rape. And this is the greatest, most powerful empire in the world at the time. If one of the highest officials' wife says rape, it was rape. And that slave will be put to death. No trial, no justice, no questions. But Joseph has proven himself to be trustworthy to be a man of character, to be an honest man. And so Potiphar's, Potiphar says, now put him in jail. And he finds himself in cell block, in cell block B. And in cell block B, he, he again says, well, if this is where I'm going to be planted, I'm going to bloom. And he starts to show leadership capacity. And the rulers of the jail, the jailers say, look, this prisoner is pretty model. Let's put him in charge of the whole cell. And so he becomes a leader amongst the prisoners. And one day he overhears a couple of Pharaoh's servants, the cupbearer and the baker, talking about these disturbing dreams that they're having. And he approaches them and he says, hey, guys, I'm pretty good with dreams. Tell me what your dreams are. And they tell him and he interprets them. And then when they leave prison, they go and tell the Pharaoh, hey, there's this guy, this Hebrew slave, this Hebrew slave rather, in jail who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's interested in this because he's been having nightmares and no one can tell him what they mean. None of his magicians, none of his diviners, no one can tell him what these dreams mean. And so he says, bring him to me. So they clean Joseph up, they give him some new clothes, they give him a shave, and he finds himself in the royal court before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, these are my dreams, what do they mean? And Joseph says, God's got this, let me tell you what they mean. Your dreams are telling you that you're going to have seven years of blessing, seven years of harvest, seven years of abundance. You're going to have seven years where you produce crops and produce that's going to, you're just going to have an overflow of blessing, of crops, of produce. But that's going to be followed by seven years of plague, seven years of serious drought, the worst drought that Egypt has ever seen. And Pharaoh says, okay, well, what should I do? And Joseph says, well, I mean, I'm just a Hebrew slave, but 
If it was me, I'd find some guy who's good with dreams. I'd put him in charge. And I'd get him to make it so that for seven years you tax your people. You tax them hard and make sure you've got enough to get you through the next seven years. It's gonna be hard on the people, but there's gonna be an abundance. They can afford it. Put it aside so that the next seven years when you experience drought, you think you're powerful now. You think you're wealthy now. Wait till the surrounding villages, the surrounding city, the surrounding people find out the only place to buy food is in Egypt. Do that. And the Pharaoh looks around at his officials and his staff and he says, has anyone else got another idea? And they all look at their feet. And he says, congratulations, Joseph, you just become the governor of Egypt. You are now the two I see of this empire. So Joseph goes from a favorite son to a betrayed brother, to a slave, to a prisoner, to the two I see of the most powerful empire in the world. And that's what gets us to chapter 42. And what's interesting about chapter 42 is that the perspective changes. The perspective changes from Joseph back to the brothers, back to the ranch, back to the family. And we find ourselves in the middle of the drought, in the middle of the famine with Joseph's brothers. In chapter 42, if you've got your Bibles, go there with me. This is what happens. Verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. It's been 22 years. It's been 22 years since they sold Joseph into slavery. It's been 22 years since they told Jacob, your favorite son is dead. It's been 22 years that they've been holding onto this guilt and this shame and this fear and this weight of what they did. How do I know? Because when Jacob says to them, boys, I want you to go to Egypt, they all stop and look at each other. And Jacob says, guys, how come every time I say the word Egypt, you look at each other like that? Because Egypt houses their greatest fear. Egypt is the name that they put to their guilt and their shame. Egypt is what they have been worried about for 22 years. Because for 22 years, they've been reliving that moment. For 22 years, they've been carrying the weight of guilt and shame of what they did in that one moment, that decision that they made 22 years ago. And now they have to face Egypt. They know that Joseph is in Egypt somewhere slaving. And they've been carrying what they did, the guilt and the shame of what they did for 22 years. So let me ask you this morning, what is your Egypt? You know, the irony for these boys is 22 years ago, they had a brother who had dreams and now he is their nightmare. What is your Egypt? What have you been carrying with you for decades maybe, years, months, that comes with guilt and shame and fear, an event, a season, a conversation, a relationship, something that you did, something that you said, that thing that is inside of you that you have never been able to shake. What is your Egypt? What is it that you are carrying around with you that is guilt and shame? And whenever somebody says that word, that year, that person's name, it rises to the surface for you and you relive that moment again. For 22 years, these guys have been carrying the weight of what they did. For 22 years, 
They've been trying to escape the guilt and the shame of what they did to their brother. What is your Egypt? I know you might have buried it. We all do. We try to bury these things, our past, the things that we don't want anyone else to know. But today, I want you to think about it. I want you to bring it to the surface because today we're gonna deal with it. And I'm not gonna tell you today that you can find forgiveness for that. You can, you can find forgiveness for that. But today I wanna encourage you to find freedom from it. Because as Christians, we know that there's forgiveness on offer. There's not much we can do about it. The work of the cross is done. You know, we're forgiven, our sins are forgiven. And we can accept that. We can own that. We can say that we walk as forgiven people. But often we don't get to the next step, which is freedom, which is actually letting the weight of the guilt and shame be taken off our shoulders and walk into the future that God has for us. These guys have been weighed down by the guilt and the shame of what they did for 22 years. And they are paralyzed by it. You see, Our past can leave us paralyzed with fear or paralyzed with guilt. It's in the story. Jacob says to his sons, I want you to go to Egypt. They just look at each other. Egypt is the word that gets them worked up, reminds them of what they did, reminds them of where Joseph is. And Jacob, you know, Jacob's not off the hook here either. You know, even though Jacob wasn't a part of the event that took place 22 years ago, Jacob is paralyzed by fear. How do I know? Because he says, you guys go, but I'm keeping Benjamin. Benjamin is the second son of his favorite wife. After Joseph was born, his favorite wife had another son, Benji. And Jacob says, I want you to go to Egypt and find food, but you can't take Benji. He is so paralyzed by fear that the same thing that happened to Joseph is gonna happen to his new favorite, that he keeps Benji at home. And this is Jacob. You know, if you know anything about the story of Jacob, this is Jacob who fought all night with the Spirit of the Lord. This is Jacob whose name becomes Israel. He's gonna become the leader of Israel. He's gonna birth the tribes of Israel. His sons will become the leaders of the tribe, of the tribes of Israel. This is Jacob who as soon as God says something, he does it. This is Jacob, who's a massive risk taker for the name of God. And here he is with his little son cowering in the corner, paralyzed by fear. And don't get the idea that Benji is like a two-year-old coloring in the corner. You know, Benjamin's got a beard. He's a man. Jacob, as he thinks about sending his sons to Egypt, he's thinking, I am never gonna let myself go through what I went through 22 years ago ever again. And he holds Benjamin back. I'm never gonna go through that again. His fear is paralyzing him. Our past can leave us paralyzed by fear or guilt. That's what happens here at the start of chapter 42. What is it for you? What is it for you that is paralyzing you from moving forward? What is it in your past that has you weighed down by guilt, by shame, by fear that is stopping you from moving forward? What is your Egypt? The brothers are paralyzed by guilt. Jacob is paralyzed by fear and the family is stuck. And I can't help but wonder as I read this story, if in this moment, God doesn't push the famine to a point where he says, well, now you gotta face it. Is that where you're at? Are you in a season where you're stuck? where it feels like you are in a famine, in a drought? Is that God telling you it's time to face your Egypt? You've got no other choice. These guys have no other choice. It's Egypt or nothing. We starve. They have to face their Egypt. And I just wonder, is this how God is using the drought for the family of Jacob? 
face your Egypt, face what you've done, face your guilt, face your shame. I wanna set you free from this. The story goes on, verse six. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now stop, how do these guys not recognize Joseph? He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Well, firstly, what did you look like 22 years ago? You know, like enough said, right? Like if somebody came in here and said, and said oh, I knew, I knew Kath 22 years ago. Like 22 years ago, I was backpacking through Europe. I was surviving on like ramen. Like if they came in here and saw me, they'd be like, oh no, that was a different Kath, not that middle-aged, tired-looking mum. You know, like 22 years is a long time. He's a man now. He's not 17. He's this man. Secondly, they're in this position where he is the, the, the second most important person in Egypt. Like he's on a pedestal, literally, you know, like there's like a stage and everything. And they're all in their royal clothes, their Egyptian finery with turbans on, you know. And like the brothers, they're foreigners that are coming to beg for the opportunity to buy, for, buy food in the famine. They're like literally kneeling down on the steps, on the marble steps, kissing the marble, Wait, like looking up at this man. This is not who they expected to see. You know, as they thought about where Joseph was in Egypt, they thought he was a slave. That's what they sold him into. So as they walk through the streets of Egypt, they're trying to make eye contact with all the slaves, thinking, could that be him? Could that be him? Could that be him? You know, and this is an empire that is literally built on slaves. They're everywhere. But these guys are trying to catch the eye of every single slave. They do not expect to see their brother as the two I see of the most important empire in the world. And thirdly, we'll find out that he is not speaking their language. Remember, he's been there for 22 years. He's learned the language. He's learned the culture. And he's become Egyptian. He's not talking to them in their language. He's speaking Egyptian and he's speaking through an interpreter. So not only is this not who they expected, they can't even hear his voice. They can't even pick up a slight accent. They've got no idea that this is him. And you've got to think, right, as we consider Joseph in this moment, knowing that these are his brothers who are bowing down in front of him. Like, it is amazing to me that Joseph doesn't rip off his turban and go, yeah! this was a dream. Remember when I told you that you guys would bow down to me? It's happening. Like, how does this not happen? How does he not immediately just like stepping on them, you know? Like, guys, it's me, Joseph. Remember how I told you you would bow down to me? Well, it's happening. But that's not how Joseph plays this. And it's hard to understand why Joseph doesn't immediately reveal himself to his brothers. And as you read the story, as you consider Joseph, as you consider what he's been through, as you consider how God has been with him, how God has used him, how God's faithfulness has been so evident in his life. You've got to recognize that God is using Joseph, his faithful servant, to bring about reconciliation in the family, to bring about forgiveness, and to bring about freedom. Joseph is used by God in this moment where the brothers have to face what they've done. And so Joseph doesn't rip off his turban and say, na, 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 na. In fact, he meets them where they're at. Verse nine, then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. One is no more. I find this fascinating that they even acknowledge that there was one other. And there can only be one reason why they say this because Joseph is on their mind. 
as they find themselves in the middle of Egypt, being accused of being spies. The only thing they can think about is what they did 22 years ago. As they sit kneeling before this person that they do not know, they're thinking about Joseph. Let me tell you about the one who doesn't exist. Well, if he doesn't exist, why are you even talking about him? Because he's on their minds. They can't escape their past. They can't escape the shame. They can't escape the guilt. It's there. They can't shake it. He's on their mind. Verse 14, Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get to get your brother, the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you're spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Can you imagine what they talked about for three days? For three days. I told you we should never have come to Egypt. Surely we could have found food elsewhere. If we came to Egypt, we we're gonna to have to face what we did and we're now being punished for what we did to Joseph 22 years ago. And then in verse 18, Joseph turns up. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And this they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. They're replaying the moment in their mind as they find themselves imprisoned. And they're thinking, why is this happening to us? They only have one answer. The only reason this can be happening to us is because we're being punished for what we did to Joseph 22 years ago. And they're replaying the moments that they did it 22 years ago. They still have the script rolling in their mind. They know what Joseph said. They remember the words that he used to plead for his life. Please don't do this, brothers. Please, we're brothers. Please don't do this. And it's up in their thoughts, in their minds. They're replaying the moment. 22 years later, it's as fresh as it was the day before. Do you do that? That thing in your life that you haven't been able to let go of, that moment, that conversation? Can you replay that moment in your mind like that? All you need is someone to say something to remind you and it's there in your mind. That's what happens to these guys as they're thinking, why are we here? Why can't I move forward? It's this thing that replays in their mind. The words of Joseph as they tied him up and they threw him in the slaver's caravan. And then Reuben stands up. Verse 22, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. And he turned away from them again to weep but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So Reuben stands up and he starts blaming. He's like, I told you guys not to do that to Joseph and now look at us. He starts blaming, which I think we do as well, right? As we start to consider that moment, that season, that thing in our past that we can't let go of, we think, well, I had to, I had no choice. It was that person's fault. It was out of my control. We try and blame our way out of it, our way out of the guilt, our way out of the shame. But the thing is, Reuben, you're in the same cell as your brothers. You know, you are just as imprisoned by your past, Reuben, as everybody else. You can't blame your way out of this. And Joseph, who's still there listening to everything they said, understanding it all, is so saddened, is devastated by what has been lost by the 22 years that he's been separated by his family, separated from his family. And he's just devastated. And he's devastated to hear of their guilt and their shame. It's devastating him. And so he takes a moment on his own. He has a cry because he's so upset by what's, what he's hearing and what he's saying. And he realizes, this is my family. 
My father is starving. My family is starving. And so he gives them an out. 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank And they turned to each other trembling and said, what is it that God has done to us? For the sake of time, I'm gonna skip the next seven verses because they just go and see Jacob and they just tell him exactly what's happened, which we've just read. Verse 35, as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. If you want a really good Bible verse for a coffee mug, Genesis 42, verse 36, everything is against me. You know, forget John 3, 16, this is the one. You know, if Nana's looking for a cross stitch for you for Christmas, Genesis 42, 36, everything is against me. Isn't this the cry of our hearts so often? Everything is against me. I find this fascinating. What Joseph has given them is a free gift. It's an incredible blessing. He has given them food, their salvation for free. He's put the silver they paid for the grain back in their sacks and their salvation is free. And they see it as a curse. Instead of the blessing that is before them, they see a curse. And this is what happens when we don't deal with sin and our past. It robs us of our future. We're unable to see what God is doing in our lives because all we can see is what we've done. Every time someone encourages you, every time someone gives you a a word of encouragement, every time you read the scriptures and you see what God thinks of you, how he created you, what he's done in you, you can't own it, you can't accept it because you think, God, I mean, I just don't deserve this. If only they knew, if only that person that's encouraging me right now, if only that person who's praying for me right now knew what I had done, they wouldn't say that. That's not me. I can't have this. I don't deserve this blessing. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve this because of what I've done, because of what's in my past, because of that moment, because of that conversation, because of that relationship, because of that season of my life. This cannot be a blessing. This can only be a curse. Everything is against me. Everything is against me. You see, our past has a way of robbing us of our future. Because of their past, they couldn't see their future. They couldn't see the blessing, the gift that was right in front of them. And then Reuben stands up. Reuben is done. Reuben's had enough of carrying the guilt and the pain and the shame and the fear of the last 22 years. He's left another brother in Egypt and he's thinking, I am not doing another 22 years of this. I am not going to spend the next 22 years mourning a mistake I made in Egypt over another brother. I will not do it. And he stands up and he says in verse 37, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. Reuben's like, you can trust me, dad. If I don't come back with both Simeon and Benjamin, you can kill your grandsons. And Jacob's like, cool, thanks. But Reuben has had enough. He is done. I am not going to do another 22 years like this. Are you done? Are you done carrying the guilt and the pain and the shame of what you did in one moment, in one season, in one relationship, in one conversation? Are you done? Reuben's done. He's so done. And he's ready to deal with his past. If I can't do this now, take my sons. I'm done. 
You know, your past can be so much in front of you that anything God wants to do in you, through you, or for you, you can't see it. It's like driving a car forward, looking out the back window. It cannot be done. You cannot drive your life forward looking at the past. You can't do it. You know, as Christians, we can accept forgiveness. We know the work of the cross gives us forgiveness, but often we get stuck in finding freedom, in accepting the grace that comes with the work of the cross. You know, Jesus, Jesus after he pulls off Easter and he comes back to life, he made sure he had a walk with Peter on the beach. Peter was the only disciple who came back for the trial of Jesus. The only disciple that comes back to the trial. In the middle of the night, when Jesus is having this mock, sort of not existing trial, Peter finds himself around a fire. While Jesus is being whipped and beaten, Peter finds himself around a fire. And he makes the biggest mistake of his life. He denies Jesus three times. He denies knowing Jesus. He denies following Jesus. He even denies that he's a Galilean. Peter, Peter, who is one of the closest friends of Jesus. Peter, who Jesus finds on the side of a lake and says, come follow me. Peter, who follows Jesus in all of his years of ministry, who gets an up close personal view of the miracles of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the character of Jesus. Peter gets this close personal experience of Jesus. Peter, who at the Last Supper will say, I will never let anything happen to you, Jesus. You can't wash my feet, Jesus. I'm not worthy. I should wash your feet. Peter finds himself around a fire. I don't know who Jesus is. It's the biggest mistake of his life. And for three days, he's reliving it. For three days, he's dealing with the guilt and the shame and the pain of what he's done. For three days, he can't stop thinking about the conversation he had around the fire. For three days, it's all he thinks about. It consumes him. And then Jesus comes back to life and gets a message to the disciples. Mark chapter 16. Jesus says, tell the disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. Tell the disciples, and Peter, and Peter. He's the only disciple who's named. Why? Because Jesus knows that when Peter gets the message, the disciples are gonna meet Jesus in Galilee. Peter's like, not me. <laughs> he can't mean me. Not after what I did. Not after what I said. Not after the mistake that I made. Jesus will know. Jesus knows what I did. There's no way He means me. He means the disciples. I am no longer a disciple, not after what I did. Jesus knows that Peter will be thinking that. And so He says, make sure Peter knows I mean him. Peter's like, it can't be me. And the messenger's like, well, he did name you, Peter. So I think it is you. And they get to the beach. And Jesus says, Peter, let's go for a walk. And as they walk along the beach, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. I know what I did, but I love you. And Jesus says, you're forgiven because of what I did on the cross, Peter but I want you to know we're good. I want you to know you and I are good. I want you to know that that biggest mistake that you made does not stop you from walking in the call of God on your life. You are free, Peter. Yes, you are forgiven. And you are free to be who I have called you to be. Don't let this hold you back. Don't continue to look at this mistake and let it define you. You are Peter. You are my rock. I will build my church on you. And Peter takes that freedom 
and he walks forward. And as he goes town to town, as he stands up and he preaches in front of crowds, the life-changing message of Jesus, he's not afraid that there's somebody in the crowd who's gonna stand up and say, hey, aren't you that guy who denied Jesus? No, no, no. Peter's waiting for that to happen. He's waiting for someone to stand up and say, hey, aren't you the guy? And he's like, yes, I am. Come on, come up here and I'll tell you the story of how not only Jesus forgave me, but how He set me free. This is the testimony of the power of Jesus. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about freedom. And I get to walk knowing that I have guilt and I have shame, but it can go to hell because Jesus has called me to walk in a life of hope. Jesus has asked me to walk in a life of love and I am set free from my mistakes. I am set free from my shame. I am set free from my guilt. I am set free from my, from my fear because of the work of Jesus in my life. Jesus does some business with Peter on the beach. And sometimes I think we need to do business with Jesus. You know, as Christians, we can accept forgiveness. We know the work of the cross and we know that we can walk forgiven. But sometimes we struggle to get to freedom. And sometimes all that takes is doing some business with Jesus. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. There is forgiveness, but there is also freedom. And sometimes you just got to do some business with Jesus to get there. And so this morning, as you consider your Egypt, this morning as you consider that thing in your past that you've never been able to let go of, I want to invite you to do some business with Jesus. And in a minute, as we sing and finish today, I want to invite you, if that's you, to come down and do business with Jesus. I don't have a beach this morning. Jesus did a lot of business on the beach. We don't have a beach this morning, but we do have the crosses. And you know what that represents. You know the power of that. And so I wanna invite you this morning, if you wanna do some business with Jesus, if you wanna be set free from something in your past, something in your life that is holding you back, I wanna invite you to come down the front this morning and do some business with Jesus. The prayer team and the pastoral team are gonna be down here, but you don't necessarily have to receive prayer from them this morning. But if you would like to, they're here and they're available for you to pray with. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and I wanna invite you to come as you feel led. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that the power of Christ not only means forgiveness, the power of Christ means freedom from our sins, freedom from our past. And so God, this morning I pray for people here this morning who have buried deep down inside themselves a moment, a conversation, a season, something in their past that they've never really fully accepted freedom from. I pray this morning that you would fill them with boldness and courage to let it go. God, I pray that they would know your voice. I pray that they would know your presence. I pray that they would know your push to be released from what is holding them back. God, I pray that we would know this morning that we are your children that we were created on purpose, with purpose. And God, you would do business with your kids this morning, that we might be set free from whatever is holding us back. God, thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you that it is in Christ that we stand firm in who we are and where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen. The team's gonna sing. I wanna invite you to come find your space at the cross and do some business with Jesus. Come now as you, as you feel like, come now.
solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and the storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand.
Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to, I want to experience that forgiveness, that cleanliness, that cleanliness that comes with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And so I want everyone here to close their eyes and bow their heads. And while we've got every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to become a Christian, I just want you to put your hand up really nice and high for me so I can see it. If you're here this morning and you want to say, yep, I'm here. I want to say yes to Jesus. See that hand there? That's great. Is there anyone else here this morning that would say, yes, I want to become a Christian. I want to put my faith in God. I want to receive the forgiveness. I want to receive that place in the kingdom of God. I want to be known by God. I want to give my life to Him. I just want to encourage you to put your hand up nice and high so I can see it in this place this morning. Yeah, anyone else? Great. Okay, we're gonna, if you've got your hand up, you can put your hand down now. And if anyone else wants to join, that's fine. But I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just want you to say these words in your own heart and your own mind after me. So I'm going to say the words and I want you to repeat them in your own heart and your own mind. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done, for the person that I have been for my past. I want to put my faith in you. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your love and your purpose. God, now I am a Christian. I choose to follow you. I choose to be purposed by you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we give those people a round of applause this morning? That's fantastic. If that was you this morning, I want to really encourage you to come and speak to one of our pastoral team this morning. Uh, they're going to encourage you and pray for you and help you get on a journey of discovering who Jesus is more and more. So if that was you this morning, I really want to encourage you to do that. Otherwise, it has been wonderful to be with you this morning. The prayer team is still here. The crosses will remain. If you need to come and do some business with Jesus, then please do that. Otherwise, go and grab a curry and a cupcake and we'll see you next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.